You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills, and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas, and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode number 283 of the Make It British podcast. So I hope you like the mini series that I did for you over the last 10 episodes with all of those frequently asked questions that I answered. Today, though, I am back to the normal Make It British podcast format. In other words, I have got a guest on the show because today I have got slow fashion designer Lydia Bolton on the show. Lydia is tackling textile waste by upcycling unwanted fabrics and garments and turning them into the most amazing one-off pieces. And as well as having her own Lydia Bolton label, she also teaches others how to upcycle with workshops that she runs and she does partnerships with big brands like Lidl, Nike, Adidas, Line Bikes to spread the word about how upcycling is a great way to tackle textile waste. So here you go. I hope you enjoy this episode today with Lydia Bolton. Lydia, thank you so much for joining me on the Make It British podcast. Thanks so for having me. Tell everyone a little bit about how you started off within fashion and textiles. Give us a little bit about your, bra- your background. What brought you here? Yeah, so I always wanted to be a fashion designer since I was, um, I can't remember any, like ever not wanting to be a fashion designer. So since I was like really young, I was always into everything art creative making stuff and my grandparents were quite creative my mum and dad like really happy for me to be creative encouraged me to do making and then my mum when I was like 13 was like okay well if you want to be a designer you have to learn how to sew I was kind of a bit like oh I don't know I think I'm gonna design not sew and my mum was like no you have to learn how to sew um because she made all her own clothes so then well not all of them most of them so she taught me how to sew. Um, and the funny thing is I now like make everything. So it is, yeah, funny that I thought I wouldn't sew and now I sew the whole time. So yeah, always wanted to be a fashion designer and then went to do fashion at uni. So I went to Kingston and did my degree in fashion design. And then after that, did the classic interning, uh, working in the pub in the evenings to pay for my rent in London. And um, then after a year of interning, finally got a job and worked for a few years as a design assistant before realising I wanted my career to be more focused on sustainable fashion. So quit my job and start the slow journey of starting my brand from there. Brilliant. What year was that that you kind of really started your own brand? Uh, 2019. So I quit my job the year before the pandemic, um, which I think was a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, you were lucky. Yeah. That was good yeah. timing. I think it was good timing um, because then when I left my job, I went back to work in the pub. And the really good thing was because I'd been there for a full year, I then got further from the pub. So I was really pleased, actually. It, it did work out well. 
And um, for anyone that's listening into this then that doesn't know about what the Lydia Bolton collection is like and what you do, do you want to describe, because sustainable fashion, I find is a buzzword that so many people are using now. Oh, I've got a sustainable brand. And it's like, okay, what does that mean to your brand? So do you want to explain a little bit more about exactly what sustainability means to your brand? Yeah, and I totally agree. I, I hate it when someone says, oh, this is really sustainable. Like, this is a sustainable brand. I'm like, how? Like sustainability is a huge topic. You can be sustainable in loads of different ways. Um, and I need to know how. So that's actually why I describe myself as an upcycler and I have an upcycling brand. And while I don't love the word upcycling, it then is can be really clear about what it is that I do. So I remake secondhand and unwanted textiles and turn them into new pieces of clothing. And then I do this through workshops where I show other people how to mend and repair and upcycle textiles. I do it through making products. Um, and then I also do it through brand partnerships where I work with brands and might make like a custom piece for them or might remake um, defected stock that they have and turn that into something new. So Brilliant. I do it in three different ways. But yeah, I agree with the word sustainable. Yeah, and actually talking of upcycling, you might not know this, but when I, when I left fashion college, long time before you, in the early 90s, I had my own similar upcycling brand, but we called it Recycling back in the early 90s it was called cat weasel recycled clothing and like you we did the same thing and we created product out of used textiles so i i know what the challenge is of finding those fabrics and that was difficult even 30 years ago more challenging now so i'd like to hear a little bit more about how do you source your raw materials how do you select which are those materials and and garments that you're going to upcycle and another thing that's preying on my mind because i know it was a challenge for me when i had my brand how do you deal with secondhand materials where there's potentially they've been used, they need washing, laundering, etc.? Yeah, so there's a lot of washing. I do a lot of washes. Yeah, either go to like the laundrette and have like, yeah, a big, big wash in there or just I'm constantly washing at home. So yeah, there is a lot of washing and then a lot of carrying things from home to the studio or laundrette to the studio. So yeah, logistically, um, there's a lot of that. But so I find my fabrics from all different places. I get a lot of stuff from kind of like eBay or Facebook Marketplace. And then I also use a lot of swatches. So, you know, the test piece of fabric from brands. So they send me their swatches and then I patchwork them together. Also, people, when people know they'll take things that they don't want, then lots of people have all this stuff that they don't want. Then people give me quite a lot of stuff as well. Yeah, it comes from various different places. Yeah, well, talking of the washing, we were in the same situation. We got to the point where we had to buy industrial, a what industrial washing machine, an industrial tumble dryer that was gas powered. I mean, wow! As you have to then think about what's the environmental impact of doing all that washing. But um, I think that's why we then ended up with a big machine because it was more economical and therefore used less energy. Yeah. So you may be getting to that stage at some point. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> storing all the fabrics when people say, "Hey, do you want my own?" unused fabrics or my unwanted fabrics how do you store everything I know well yeah in my studio so now I'm at the point where I have to say no unless I have well I say can I see a photo and then unless I have an absolute vision for what I could a real strong feeling for what I could do that I just have to say no because yeah you just get I have it's so full I did um a couple of weeks ago an open studio where anyone could just come and help themselves to anything just like all for free and I just had like every surface in the studio covered in boxes and people could just come and help themselves 
so we can all yeah keep it circular and I can move on some bits I don't need anymore love it absolutely love it and I've got to as well ask you then we've covered the kind of sustainable I'm a sustainable brand broad brush term there's also that dead stock fabric term that everyone is using now every single designer that comes to me says I'm using I want to use dead stock fabric do you want to explain that a little bit to people about what the challenges are of just even trying to find dead stock fabric, how you classify dead stock fabric? What does it yeah. mean to you? Yeah. So for me, I would class dead stock as kind of clothing that brands aren't able to sell. So for me, that's what kind of dead stock would be, or maybe a roll of fabric that has got like marks and stains on it. So it's unable to be used by whoever was meant to be using it. What I don't really think is dead stock is fabric that you get from a small fabric shop, which I think quite a lot of brands do potentially class as dead stock. Um, so yeah, I think, could you want to give us an outline? Because I feel like that's kind of my interpretation of it, but I feel like maybe you'll have a really good, clearer definition. No, mine is exactly the same as yours. I think, um, I also think that like the small fabric shops that may only have one roll or less, so like 30 metres or less of a fabric, selling it to designers and and then the fabric shops themselves calling it dead stock and then putting the price up because they claim it's sustainable in inverted commas yeah i think there is a potential for some designers to almost get ripped off as much as anything else yeah. like buying fabric in small quantities does not make it dead stock it just makes it a low moq fabric yeah totally totally and i yeah i think yeah dead stock fabrics again one of those words where i don't know it's so broad Anything is potentially dead stock. And I think, it, yeah, it's one of those things people are like, oh, yeah, we're sustainable use dead stock fabrics. Like, where is the fabric from? It's such an untransparent word. Yeah. And it's all about being more transparent, isn't it? If you're sustainable. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Or if you're um, not, it does, or if you're not, it's all about just being transparent in general, because that's how then we all understand that the environment that we're in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you said your mum taught you to sew. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Well done, your mum. <laughs> um, is it just you still sewing all your products for your collection or have you got other people sewing for you as well? Yeah, so it's mainly me and then I work with freelancers when I'm busy. So if I've got a lot on, then I work with freelancers. But I would say the actual selling of the product side is kind of only one third of what my business and brand is about so that's why it's slightly different for me than a brand that maybe is completely relying on product selling making and selling product yeah that yeah that's an interesting point because you're also offering I suppose a service on you putting workshops on and working in collaborations with with other brands yeah yeah exactly a big part of my brand is the um yeah the service like an educational side of like teaching and showing other people how to do like making and mending and then yeah also the working with brands on kind of more like custom projects or like one-off things so exactly it's not that i'm purely about um yeah making products i sell was that a strategic business choice to decide to do as much i suppose you'd call it consultancy with brands because do you want to tell everyone some of the brands that you have consulted with or done collaborations with? Yeah, so I've worked with um, quite a few brands. I've worked with, uh, I'll work backwards, though, kind of like most recently to the longest ago. So I've worked with um, Lidl and By Rotation, with Lime, with um, 
River Island with Adidas, Knight. Then I've done like workshops for like Unilever, Lemonade, Oxfam, um, Reebok. Yeah, loads of brands. And was was that a strategic decision to do more of that? Of that work? Yeah, I well, well, we might go on to this, but it's kind of. I kind of, well, and also you know this from your own experience, like it's hard when you just sell one-off things. So I always knew that wasn't going to be the only way I wanted my brand to be. I knew it would always incorporate other things. And part of, I think, sharing skills and that educational side is really important in sustainability. So that was also something I wanted to be like a big part of my brand. And then also, um, I, yeah, it's just, a lot of labor when you make one-off things so I think having other ways that you can work with brands still in this reducing textile area um yeah there's like so many ways that you can reduce textiles not just from um making products yeah plus also if you're working for a bigger brand you could argue it's having a bigger impact a wider impact and that's obviously why they want to work with you as well plus they get a bit of your small business cool attached to their big brand like for instance, Lidl, do you want to, can you, I know I saw your amazing um, Instagram reel you did creating your Lidl collection. Do you want to tell people what you did with Lidl, for instance, your most recent collaboration? Yeah, so for Lidl, Lidl do their Christmas jumpers each year. And then this year, their Christmas jumpers, they were also making them available to rent on by rotation. So alongside this, they wanted three kind of really impactful fun jumpers to go along with this rental collection so they asked me to create three really yeah interesting fun jumpers or which I all upcycled from other Christmas jumpers I upcycled from other jumpers to make these three really unique Christmas jumpers which are all inspired by different Christmas icons um which I'm yeah I'm not sure if we then got to the point where they could say which who which was the name who inspired each jumper for like the legal reasons um but yeah maybe people can guess there were three so they were all three were inspired by like different christmas icons like three like big classic christmas singers and did they ever sell those products and were they really just a marketing tool to show um, what they could be done yeah no it was actually it was really sweet so they were on by rotation to rent for um six weeks and then the three jumpers, they then did like ran giveaways with their staff to give them to like, so any little employees could then win one of the jumpers. How brilliant. Yeah. It's really ah. nice. So there's three little staff somewhere across the country next Christmas will hopefully be sitting there in one, one of your recycled, yeah. upcycled jumpers. Totally in the most over the top jumper. Yeah. But I also hopefully made them, I kind of made them with the mind that they weren't really just Christmas jumpers. Like they're, they're kind of fun, impactful jumpers that they could be worn at really like any point of the year. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not like kind of too Christmas branded. Yeah, because Christmas jumpers are like one of the worst, most unsustainable. Because so many people, they're made from plastic. So many people buy them, wear them once to the office party. Yeah. Ugh. I know. I know. Totally. Yeah, exactly. But you can wear a really fun jumper that can be your Christmas jumper, but you actually can wear it loads of times if it's, you know, got yeah, more yeah, nicely exactly. designed. So when you do these collaborations then, I mean, I suppose with my cynics hat on a little bit, is it partly because they want to say, hey, we're doing something sustainable. We're working with Lydia Bolton. She's doing up- an upcycling project with us, but it's such a tiny part of everything else they do. 
How do yeah. you feel about that? When like, are there any brands that you've just said no, I won't work with you? Uh, yeah, there definitely there have been brands that I've not worked with. Um, quite a few brands. So it does have to really align with what I want to do. Um, part of me does, yeah, in the cynical way, you could like part of me does think that it is such a small part of it. But then the other part of me thinks that really is how you reach new audiences. And I have quite a eco-friendly echo chamber on my Instagram, which is amazing. And like all my community are very eco, which is amazing. But I think it's really good to also be in front of people that are less in that environment. Like I did the workshops at Westfield and they were so good because it was kind of people in one of the biggest shopping centres in the UK all about like buying new stuff from retail like predominantly fast fashion shops so then actually doing workshops where you show people how to mend and repair and they kind of do stuff with their hands again like it, I really felt like okay this is actually way like it's really good doing workshops with like yeah people in shopping centres as opposed yeah. to just the already eco eco-friendly people I love that I think mean, that's brilliant do you think the public's perception, because, you know, my when I first helped my recycle brand, we were probably one of only two back 30 years ago, that was. Wow. And it's almost like, oh, my God, we have, is this as far as we've got in 30 years? But actually, do you think now there's been so much of a backlash recently because of documentaries about Boohoo and Shein and all that lot? Do you think now there is a kind of tidal wave of the public turning on fast fashion and moving more towards sustainable practice like Um, clothing which is made in a more sustainable way I think so because I think yes and no because I'm sure I'm sure I've read that it's kind of like uh, is it like Boohoo and Sheen's biggest competitor is places like Vinted and Depop because that's huge that like really shows that then that demographic is really interested in buying secondhand if they kind of yeah if fast fashion brands see secondhand marketplaces as being their competitors I think that does show that we are really, yeah, a lot more sustainably minded. But I think a lot of it still is to do with kind of like our consumption and our purchasing habit as much as it is um, fast fashion. It's a really tricky one. It's so hand in hand, like overconsumption and also overproduction. And so I think that's like a tricky one because I I like to what you think, but like with fast fashion, it's still affordable clothing and we need. You always need to have affordable clothing for for everyone in all different styles, but it's just like the mass production, mass consumption, how it's made, which is obviously so bad. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of maybe the mindset has shifted a bit, but I think there's probably still more of a way to go. Yeah, and I think it's the same I w- I've still found with educating people about why if something is made in the UK the labour costs are higher and therefore it is going to cost more potentially, not always, but there is going to be, you know, made in a different way versus mass production in thousands of units in China, for instance. How do you address those those people that say, maybe they find you because they hear about your little project and then they come on your website and they go, oh, you're charging, what, £180 for a jumper. How do you respond to that? Oh. Uh- well, I actually think my prices are really inexpensive, what my things are. <laughs> I agree. Um, I totally agree. Yeah, I think they're really inexpensive. Um, but that's because I don't, I just do like direct consumer. So I don't sell through any other platforms. So my prices can be slightly lower than if I 
um, did wholesale or anything. Um, and I, I think that's fine if they think it's really expensive. I think that's so. I think, yeah, I don't want to try and ever. I feel like everyone just has such different financial situations, and like, yes, we need to understand understand that clothing, the price of clothing is inaccurate because generally it's been made by people who aren't paid the right amount of money like so clothing isn't at its actual cost um but I wouldn't yeah it, it's a tricky one I I feel like if someone said it was too expensive I would kind of I'd probably describe to them all the processes that went in place of how I made it and then maybe also describe all the things I do every day and all of like my general costs um and then you're kind of like and then there's one product at the end that you have to sell so that cost isn't even split over anything else and I think yeah maybe that would help them understand but I also I think everyone yeah expensive is different to everyone and there are things that I see that I'm like wow how can anyone buy it that's so expensive but to yeah. someone else that is inexpensive yeah and it's relative isn't it and you're right yeah. I mean what you're producing actually cost more to produce than the original product that it may be made from because you're unpicking so whereas I had my business we got blankets for instance curtains that was not much unpicking to do you had to find the right place to do the cutting whereas a lot of your products I believe they're unpicked aren't they as well so you've got a, that process is there a reason why you do the unpicking and don't just cut from the middle um <laughs> it depends sometimes I do just cut from the middle if I'm if I'm thinking it's taking too long. But you know what I also do? I get my mum to come and help unpick because she likes... Brilliant. Yes, yeah, so my mum helps me do the unpicking. I think unpicking is important um, because sometimes you really need those two centimetres. And yeah, I just find, think it's important to unpick. And sometimes I find the unpicking, it's really kind of a bit like the craft. Like it's a bit like putting the value back into this old item of clothing that you're showing it some like care and love by like, gently unpicking it seems um I don't yeah I don't always do it but I generally find it yeah it's nice too and it kind of yeah I need as much of the fabric as I can get yeah exactly although do you send any of your kind of tiny scraps to be recycled I suppose if the, if the thread where they're stitched together is not the same fiber as the original product it's more difficult to recycle them isn't it yeah so what I do with my tiny all my offcuts is luckily in the same um kind of studio campus that i'm in there's a brand called fiber labs um do you know if you've heard yeah so they have yeah yeah so um fiber labs are just around the corner so then i get all my offcuts shredded down and then i use it to make cushion yeah so i use it for the innards of my cushion brilliant i love it totally circular and yeah trying to be as circular as possible amazing Yeah. yeah so um is that the reason? So one of the reasons I got you on the podcast is because I saw that you've now taken the decision to, instead of selling your products outright, because they're all one-off, to actually rent them to people. Um, tell me a little bit more about that decision. Yeah. So it's kind of a scary decision, but also really feels like a really right decision for my brand. And as I said earlier, my brand is a mix of selling products doing the services teaching the workshop and then also brand partnership so I think it really lends itself well for me to try and test just renting um because yeah because I do different things and also I just felt like 
I really want my brand to always be kind of evolving and changing. I don't want my brand just to be, right, I need to make and sell products. I want to think, how can I always tweak it and change it to try and make it as sustainable as it can be? And definitely renting and this idea of like a shared collective wardrobe is a way that we can be more sustainable. Um, I thought, yeah, I kind of thought of it in mid-December and I thought that's just going to be a bit scary, but I think it's going to be the right decision. And with everything being a one-off, it doesn't necessarily make sense to only one person ever to have it. And there's some, sometimes I have a piece that will just get really, really, really high interest. And then now it gives way more people the option to wear it um, and have it for a short time. Yeah, and it doesn't need to just live in one person's wardrobe and maybe they wear it every so often. But yes, I think it does work. Um, yeah. yeah, I can totally understand that and makes total sense because when I had my recycled brand, I remember we had Kate Moss wear, wore a pair of our trousers in Vogue, very young Kate Moss back in the day. Wow. And of course, they were made from a one-off blanket. I think we actually had two of those particular blankets in a similar colorway. Everyone wanted Kate's trousers. No one wanted another similar. No, no, it had to be those. <laughs> Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so doing that makes total sense. And also, I suppose, because you've been working with by rotation, um, you kind of understand the rental market. But yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say on the Cape Moss thing, exactly. It's just people just get like crazy hype just on this one thing. And then there's a slightly different version. They're like, no, it's that only that exact one. So, but how have the logistics, like as a small brand, working out the logistics of a rental model. How have you found that? And have you actually launched it yet? Or are you still planning out how it's going to work? Um, so I know how it's going to work. I'm actually going to work with a brand called Loanhood. So who that Loanhood are a rental platform. And they are, have developed technology, which is going to help me do the rentals, but from my own website, um, which is really nice because I did want to keep it in kind of, not change it for my customers. I do, I want it to be as similar for my customers, like the experience, but it's just something that they then return. Yeah. So I didn't want to have, like direct people to a different platform and everything like that. I wanted to try and keep it as, yeah, in house as possible. So yeah, I'm working with Lonehood um, with their technology. So that's how it's going to, the logistics, but I haven't actually launched it yet. I need to make the pieces there. That's exciting. So Lone Hood will hold the stock. They'll warehouse it and do the fulfillment of the sending it out, bringing it back. I think I'll do that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I imagine I would do that for now. I think, I think there probably is the option for them to do it, but I think probably for now I'll do it. Um, but it's, so it's all, yeah, basically nothing really will change other than things won't go people things will come in and out as opposed to just going for good how have you worked out what pricing should be for that because how do you price loan versus selling outright because you've also got to think of cost per wear haven't you like if i bought a yeah one of your jumpers i'd probably aim to wear it like a hundred times and it would cost me like a pound per wear or whatever but how have you yeah. worked out with rental well i haven't done that yet because i haven't made the pieces, so I don't know what the end price point of the piece would be. I imagine what I will do is I'll look at other rental platforms and I'll look at the difference between the end price point and then the rental price point and work out what that percentage is and then probably apply that percentage to my own pieces. 
Because I'd imagine there's probably like a fairly standard percentage that people work with yeah. for how much they rent something um, versus the end sale price. Yeah, because it's the sending it back and forwards, isn't it? Potentially having to wash it. With, yeah, reprocess yeah. it. Because if they don't send it back washed or dry cleaned. Yeah, totally, totally. And then the only thing I haven't really thought about, but I think I do need to think about it, is I guess if someone doesn't send it back, um, but that's just all the like standard rental challenges. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, I think, no, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, I think that's a really good way, an obvious way for your brand to go. I think it's really exciting because if you've got a one-off piece and someone loves it and then someone else also wants it, it's, it's a good way of um, yeah, sharing the love out. Does that also mean you're designed in a slightly different way, knowing that that's going to be a rental model going forward yeah i think i will keep some of the pieces that i know people like so i do like shirt with kind of like from tablecloths they've got like fruit and stuff on and people really love them so i will keep those kind of those pieces that i know people really like and then i think it gives me more opportunity to add in more over the top exciting one-off pieces and people don't need to feel Oh, that I, I don't know how much I'll wear that. They can just, if they like it, they can just have it for the weekend or have it for a week, wear it if they want to. Um, but the, it reduces that kind of pressure of, do I actually want this to sit in my wardrobe? Do I really want to keep this? Which is kind of what I think about buying stuff. If you've moved house recently, I mean, I moved house a year and a half ago. And then now I just see my stuff. I'm like, oh, do, I, do I want to buy this and transport it around for when I next move? I'm not sure I do. Um, so now for me, I'm really like conscious about what I buy. Yeah, I think um, it like, helps with people doing that. Sorry, say that again. It, it helps with um, people being able to maybe try something a bit more exciting or experimental. Yeah, because I think everyone wants less possessions these days for exactly the reason that you said people move around more. No one wants to have stuff, do they? Too much stuff. Yeah. And the mental burden of too much stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. Me and my friend talk about that. <laughs> yeah. And then also, I think this is probably because I'm quite eco, but I then think, then where does it go next? Now I've got this responsibility for this item. What, like, what happens to it afterwards? Like, I, it's too, it's too much to then, yeah. Yeah. So, you exactly don't want too many things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how, when you announced this, because I spotted that you announced it on your Instagram and there was an outpouring of support, but it, it has that generally been that people are really up for this idea of rent or have you met with any resistance to it? No, people seem to be really, yeah, people really like it. People are really interested in it. I think maybe they'll be interested to see how it will actually work in practice. Um, yeah, but I think so far people seem to really like it. I have had some people message me about wanting to buy things. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that anymore, sadly. Um, not sadly, but sadly for you that you can't buy that thing you wanted. Um, but yeah, so I think so far it's been, it's been really positive, which is really nice. And when does it launch? Um, probably in February. Excellent. So this podcast yeah. will go out, I'm sure, before it launches. So everyone listening to this. Okay. Sure, at that point we're going to get over to your website can anyone yeah. can it, they need to be on your newsletter don't they to find out about when it launches and follow you on instagram yeah yeah newsletters always where people find out about things first so newsletters good excellent 
So, um, Lydia, tell me, like, as with your experience now of setting up your brand and choosing to be an upcycling brand as your kind of stake in the sand, I suppose, of where you stick with sustainability, what advice would you give someone who was thinking about setting up their own clothing, textile brand, if they like want to make sure that their brand is doing the best that it can possibly do? What advice would you give? And I know that's a big question to answer in a short space of time, but if you were to do it all again, what might you do differently, I suppose, is the way of looking at that. Oh, I think that's two different questions. I didn't know what I would I think I do a lot of things differently. My advice would be to someone starting a brand now is probably choose one thing and become an expert in that area and do that one thing really, really well. So say you want to have a sustainable brand, decide what area of sustainability you want to provide a solution for um, and become really, really good at providing a solution for that problem and designing and creating around that. And then go outward and then do add in other things once you've kind of really, yeah, established yourself in one area. I mean, go out if you want to, you don't have to grow if you like, but yeah, I think it's really good to become as expert as possible in like one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Rather than trying to do it all and Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although she says thing that she does products, workshops, all these different things. <laughs> no, I mean from a product <laughs> I mean, perspective, though. Yeah, from a product perspective and also a sustainability pers- pers- perspective. When people are kind of like, oh, I want to do this, this and this. And I just think, okay, so if you want everything to be, say, natural dyes or biomaterials, become just focused on that and become really known for that. And I think that will help help build your brand, helps people recognize you for something. People then know what you're an expert in, so they know what to go for you for, go to you for specifically as opposed to like sustainable brand, huge brushstroke. No one really knows what you do. Yeah, so I would say become like a niche expert in one thing. That is such good advice. Amazing. <laughs> Lydia, before we go, then one final thing. If people want to join any of your workshops, how do they find out about them and what sort of workshops have you got coming up? Yeah, so at the moment, I'm doing a lot of scrunchie workshops because scrunchies are very popular um, and the workshop really lend themselves to people that haven't done any sewing before. So most people that come haven't used the sewing machine or maybe they did like 15 years ago at school, but they don't really know how to sew. So making a scrunchie is a really fun um, and accessible item for them to make. So I do a lot of these scrunchie workshops and I do them in my studio in Hackneywick. And you just can book a place on my website. The best place to find out about them is probably from my newsletter. But they're quite small. There's only six people in the class. So you'll learn how to use a sewing machine. All your materials are provided and you have a really cute evening or weekend morning making a little scrunchie. Um, so they're the ones that I kind of do continuously myself. And then I do other various workshops with brands which might be um mending repairing patchworking and they are always kind of different so the best place to find out about them will be our newsletter so always let people know when they're going on excellent i think i'm going to send my daughter along to one of your scrunchy workshops <laughs> yeah, she should come amazing right so everyone listening to this then needs to get onto lydia's newsletter list lydiabolton.co.uk isn't it have i got that right 
is.co.uk. Brilliant. And then they can find out when you're launching your rental service so they can try before they buy almost. They can rent out and have a, have a piece of Lydia Bolton to wear um, yeah. and find out about your workshops and the other great things that you're doing. Amazing. Lydia, you're an absolute superstar. I'm really impressed with what you've achieved in such a short space of time with your brand. It's fab. Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a nice conversation. Oh, take care. Bye. Bye.